It's so good to see you today as we wrap up a whole new, uh, whole series that we've been talking about, this idea of niche. Yes, Sarah, it's niche, uh, not niche as in quiche. But anyway, what we're trying to do is get a figure out life's purpose. We're trying to get a handle on this idea that God made us on purpose for a purpose, that uh, the way we've said it during the series, the, the day you're born is important, but far more important than that is, is why you were born. And when you begin to discover God's purpose for your life, and you begin to fulfill that purpose, that's when the fulfilling life that Jesus promised comes. That's when abundant life actually begins to, to come. So today we're kind of wrapping that series up with the E in the word niche. So let's, let's re, re, uh, rehearse the word niche again. It's N-I-C-H-E. Those of you that have been a part of it, we'll rehearse it. For those of you that are new, we'll introduce it to you. The N stands for Anybody remember? Natural abilities. We all have abilities that came when we, were, when we were born or we picked them up along the way and they just come naturally to us. I stands for your individuality, your personality type. We all have unique personalities, but really there's only four on the planet and we're all a blend of those four. C stands for charisma gifts, the Greek word charis meaning grace. These are the gifts that God gives us by his grace. We didn't earn them. He gave them to us. We're responsible to him for what we do with the gifts that he's given us. The H stands for heart, those things that you're naturally motivated to do, but more importantly than that, God gives you a passion for them. We all have different passions and different interests, and many times God will put a passion in your heart for an area or a need or, 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 or a person or a, an event or an organization, and that passion will drive you. And so if you put all of this together, you begin to get a profile of who you are. The E then stands for experience, and simply put, every experience in our lives shapes us toward what God put us on the planet to do. And that's really all I want to do in the few minutes that I've got with you this morning is just kind of solidify that idea as quickly as I can, this idea that God has this amazing way of working everything into a pattern for good. I call it his genius, this, this genius of, of giving us freedom of choice that we get to choose the things that we will and won't do, the places we will and won't go, but somehow uh, <laughs> we don't get freedom from the consequences of our choices, but somehow he weaves all of that into a pattern for good if we just cooperate with his process. So let's look at the scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it's on the screens. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. In fact, you can get all the notes uh, on the app and follow along with me today. You can email me this week at info at bridgechurch.cc and take advantage of that opportunity as well. I'll send you all the very notes that I've got now, and you can study this in more detail. But let's get into the scriptures. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. And we know that God causes... What? what? What does everything include when you read it in the Bible? Everything to work together, come on, for the good of those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. What you need to know is that it's an amazing promise, but it's not a promise for everybody. It's a promise for the people who cooperate with his process. Is that what it says? He will work everything into a pattern for good of those who do what? What are the two things? Who love him back and are called according to his purpose. For those who really put the effort in to find out what life's purpose is and accomplish what God put them on the planet to do, God will take every experience, good, bad, and ugly, 
and help you to, to, to help use it to direct you and prepare you for what he's called you uh, to do. And so what I want to do in the few minutes I've got is I just want to, I want to make sure you know how to cooperate with God's promise. I want to make sure that you own this promise. It's not just a verse you like to quote sometimes because it makes you feel better, but you actually cooperate with God's promise to work everything into this pattern for good. And there are three dynamics that are associated with cooperating. Let me outline them for you. Number one, if you really want to cooperate, you've got to value every experience. You have to value every experience. If God weaves every experience into the pattern for good, then you can't pick and choose the experiences that you want to pay attention to. I got one amen. You, you, you can't pick and choose them. You can say, well, I like that one, I don't like that one. You can't pick the good ones and leave out the bad ones. You can't pick the shameful ones and, and hang on to them or the happy ones or the, or, or the sad ones. All of them, every one of them. Maxwell, John Maxwell said, some time ago, the difference between successful people and, and unsuccessful people is that unsuccessful people run from their hurts and their failures and because uh, they don't like how it makes them feel, so they do their best to ignore them, to avoid them, to hide from them. Successful people know if I'm going uh, to learn from this experience, if I'm going to grow from this experience, then I have to allow myself to experience it. I have to allow myself to value that God, in fact, has a purpose in this, this situation. Kim and I visited Saddleback Valley Community Church a number of years ago. Some of you know the name Rick Warren, and, and there was a Q&A session with all the attenders there, and one of the guys asked Rick, if you had it to do over, what would you do differently? And Rick's answer, he just kind of jolted back. He said, I wouldn't do anything differently. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've probably done more things wrong than right along the way. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of experiments that didn't work out. But I believe that I'm doing what God put me on the planet to do. So what would I do differently when, when all of it working together has got me to the place that I'm in? I learned something that day from a man who had accomplished much for the kingdom of God. Paul said it, kind of the same thing in the form of a question to the church at Galatia, chapter 3, verse 4. Were all your experiences wasted? He said, I hope not. What's he saying? He's saying, come on, guys. God has this way of move, working everything into a pattern for good. Don't waste the experiences. Please don't waste them. God never wastes a hurt. He doesn't want you to waste one either. The problem is an awful lot of people will deny their past. They will ignore their past. They will, they will discount their past. They will regret their past. They will revisit their past. They will rewrite the story of their past. Have you ever noticed how often people will tell you a story from their past and they wind up the hero of the story and somebody else is the zero of the story? I'm not the hero of every story of my life. Any amens in the room? Any brave souls? I'm not the hero of them all. A few, maybe. But I made zero a lot of times along the way. Hear me, guys. What I'm saying to you is, is, is not live in the past or get stuck in the past or be a victim of your past, but I am saying God can't work your past into a pattern for good as long as you're in denial about it. As long as you're making up stories about it to make yourself look good or feel good or feel better about it. God can use every experience in your life, relational, educational, vocational, painful, joyful. He can use 
all of the experiences, the ones you liked and you didn't like, the ones you celebrated and didn't celebrate, he can use them all, but you've got to stop running from them first. You've got to value them all. Okay, so you weren't elected prom queen. You didn't make captain of the football team. Got it. Okay, your parents weren't great. They, they told you you were never going to amount to anything. I, I get it. We all have past. We all have stuff that we don't like about our past. But the bottom line is, guys, God wants to work it into a pattern for good. But first, we've got to embrace it. We've got to understand a little bit about it. Joseph was one of those guys who got this. Some of you know the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. He had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him one day and uh, and uh, so he went from, from well, boy, I'm going to be large and in charge, to his brothers were jealous of him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, um, followed by rising to the head servant in the house where he was a slave, only to be thrown in prison, falsely accused, followed by being in the right place at the right time to be able to interpret a dream for Pharaoh that led him to the second in command of the most powerful nation on the planet, uh, saving not only that nation but his own family's nation from the famine that was coming. All of those things, all of those ups and downs, all of those joys and pains got woven into a pattern for good. And then when he finally faced his brothers years later, he didn't deny what happened. He didn't run from what happened because he had put it all into context. He was able to, to process through it all. And as a result, he was able to tell his brothers Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I know you've had some good experiences and you've had some bad experiences. I get it. We all have. I came here today to tell you God's bigger than all of them. And if you let him, he'll take those and he'll weave them into a pattern for good to put you in a place where he not only can use you, but he can bless you. But you've got to cooperate with him in order for that to happen. And as long as you're, you're, you're running from those things, denying those things, it's never going to happen. You've got to value every experience. Embrace it. Second thing you've got to do then is learn from it. You've got to learn from those experiences. Frankly, an unexamined experience is a wasted pain. I said God never wastes a hurt. I'm begging you not to waste one either. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I like, I like the way the Amplified kind of unpacks it. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruit of it. Test and prove yourselves, not Christ. You understand what they're saying? He's saying you've got you to spend some time thinking through this, testing, examining all of those experiences because if you don't test them through the lens of what am I supposed to learn from this about me, you heard the last two words, right? What am I supposed to learn from this about me? Who will you wind up examining and testing? You'll start blaming God for everything that's happening in your life, and you will never learn from it. So you can either examine yourself or you can examine God. You can settle that God is in every experience and wants to bring God to that experience, but you've got to test yourself in every experience in order for that to happen. So let me just give you three quick tests. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. If you went to the Bridge NC app, save it to your journal and, and capture these. But there are three tests. Let me challenge you to consider 
uh, as you kind of learn from the experiences of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of them, okay? First test is you've got to look for the benefits of whatever experience you're going through. You've got to stop and say, what is the benefit? If you had a good experience, don't just say, boy, I really enjoyed that. Stop and say, what is it about that that I enjoyed? Examine it a little bit. Ask yourself, you know, what, what happened that was so fulfilling to me or enjoyable to me? Stop and ask yourself those kinds of questions. If you took a class, you went to a conference, don't just say, man, that was a good class. That was a good conference. Say, Capture what are some things that you learned from that experience that you're going to take with you. What was meaningful about it? Is this making sense? Even if it's a negative experience, just don't, don't just say, boy, that stunk to high heaven. I'm sure glad that's over. Spend some time thinking through it to say, Lord, what is it you want to teach me about that experience that will help me to become who you put me on the planet to become? And let me just throw this in for free, okay? You don't have to put extra in the offering plate if you don't want to, but don't waste a lot of time saying, asking why. I don't know that I can tell you it's a sin to ask why. I can tell you that it's wasted energy because chances are on this side of heaven you won't get an answer to why, but you can say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How are you going to use this to, to mold me into the person that can accomplish the things you put me on this planet to do? Ask what? Every answer is a clue. Every question that you ask produces a clue to, that points you toward finding life's purpose in life. I'm knock this thing over, huh? Is this making sense? So the first thing you do is, okay, what kind of benefit? What kind of benefits can I get? The second thing you want to do is look for patterns. You want to look for patterns. And the best way I know to do that, and I just, work with me here, guys, uh, some, uh, uh, is journaling. You got to journal. Some of you are excited. Some of you are going, can you move on to the next point, Jim? I ain't going to do that. I ain't keeping no diary. No one's telling you to keep a diary. I went to the mall today. <laughs> Ran across three friends today. <laughs> I don't care about that stuff. Please don't make me write in a diary and all this stuff. Don't, don't make me do that. But every time you capture a life lesson, every time you value an experience and say, I want to learn from this experience, and you ask the kinds of questions I'm suggesting, Lord, what are you trying to teach me about me in this circumstance? When you get a life lesson, write it down. Capture it somewhere. Put it into your pattern. I had an experience a number of years ago that, uh, that ultimately led me to where I'm standing right here right now today. It was actually when I went back to school and uh, went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and one of the things they required us to do was journal, and I had dreaded it. Okay, make me read 100 books. Make me write a dissertation. Make me do all kinds of work. Just don't make me journal. I didn't want to journal, but they made us journal, and we had to turn our journals in. At the end of the year, we had to go back and look through <coughs> all of our journal entries for the year, and here's the question they told us to ask. Do you see any patterns? Or then he repeats in your journal. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that the only time I wrote the word frustrated in my journal that entire year was always in relationship to an organization that I was associated with at the time. Every time I had a dealing with them, I came home and journaled, boy, that was a frustrating experience today. 
Boy, I'm frustrated by this or that. Boy, I learned from this experience, but it's frustrating to me. I came down to the end of the year, and I saw the pattern frustrating, and I said, maybe it's time that I move away from that organization, which led me to start the Acts 2 network that's now planted 100 churches in the world, that led me to move back to Goldsboro to take care of my mama, which led me to attending the bridge, which led me to becoming your pastor. I mean, all of those things, step by step by step, came from me taking the time to journal my experiences and learning not just from the events, but from the patterns. Does that make sense? If you want God to work everything into a pattern for good, this is not a passive kind of environment. This is a God, I will cooperate with you while you do that, and here's how I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to value my experiences, and I'm going to learn from my experiences. So you look for the benefit, you look for the patterns, and then you capture those lessons. Again, it's not just enough to, to, to learn from them, but you've got to capture them. Because if you don't capture them, what's going to happen? You'll repeat them. You'll do it again. When the children of Israel made seven laps through the wilderness, came to the gate of the promised land seven times, but they didn't capture the lessons, therefore they had to repeat it over and over and over until an entire generation died off simply because they didn't capture the lessons that God was trying to teach them along the way. Edmund Burke said, the, the same guy that said, all that's necessary for the forces of evil to win the world is for good men to do nothing. You, you know that phrase? The same guy is the one who said, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Can I tell you, it's one of the things that scares me about what's going on in our nation right now as we rewrite American history for whatever misguided reasons there are. If we don't capture our history, we will Repeat it. And that's not just true for a nation. That's true for you and me. It's true for my family. It's true for who we are. Job 32, 7, Job said, those who are older should speak, for wisdom comes with age. The problem is that's a possibility, not a promise. We all know some old people who are dumb as dirt. I Don't look at them, but, you know. What am I saying? I'm saying wisdom doesn't wisdom takes time, but it doesn't come automatically with time. It requires extracting the lessons that we learn from the experiences in our lives. In order to extract those lessons, we've got to value them and we've got to learn from them by by identifying the benefits, by recognizing the patterns, and then by capturing those lessons. And when we do, we've set ourselves up to cooperate with God's process of working everything into a pattern for good in our lives. Is, is, this, is this nuts and bolts practical, meaningful, guys? Maybe one of the most important messages some of you have heard in a long time. I hope you're leaning into it. Email me. I'll send you the notes. Study them. This is huge. Leads me to the third dynamic of cooperating with God's process. So we've got to value them, embrace them. We've got to learn from them, but then we've got to commit to continue growing to maturity. We've got to commit to continue growing to maturity, that life is about growth and development. You can only coast in one direction. Hello? Downhill. And eventually you run out of steam. 
And so we make a commitment, Lord, not only am I going to value every experience and learn from every experience, but I'm going to grow from every experience. I'm going to grow toward maturity in Christ, which leads me uh, to what I want to just really say before I let you go. There are three aspects of this thing of growing to maturity. First of all, maturity starts with a commitment. You've got to commit to grow in order to grow. It's not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen automatically. You've got to commit to grow. There's an intentionality that's associated with I'm going to grow up, I'm going to learn, I'm going to mature. Here's how Paul put it, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's using the illustration of an athlete who's trying to win the race, who's trying to get the gold medal. He's talking about people who discipline themselves with an end in mind. He's saying that our end in mind is not temporal, it's eternal. It's not now, it's forever. And that goal is maturity. So we first got to commit to it. Second, there's got to have a process. There's a journey toward it. And it's all laid out in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3. I'll just read them right quick. I don't have time to teach it to you today. I just want to introduce it to you, get it in your thinking. There's going to be a lot of emphasis in 2020 on this. As we go into the new year, we're going to really be digging into this whole idea of growing in our maturity, growing in our faith, growing in understanding of Scripture. We're going to get into developing the growth track and the discipleship processes in our church. It's going to be an exciting year as we grow in Christ. But let me give you the three steps to the process. Step one is in Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's the first step to growing to maturity? It's to give your life to Jesus Christ as an act of worship. We bring all kinds of offerings. We bring the offering of our tithes. We bring the offering of our service. We bring the offering of our time. But at the end of the day, the offering that we bring is our lives, say, I am yours, and I want this to be an act of worship to you. The second step, having made that one, is in Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the first step is make your life an act of worship to him. The second step, then, is retrain your thinking Repattern your thinking so that you're operating the way God intended you to operate. Understand what the Word of God is. And I know many of you are waiting for the movie to come out, but we're going to teach you next year how to operate from a biblical worldview. Okay? We're going to dig into this thing. Why? Because we want you to approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We want you to find God's purpose for your life. And ultimately, it's about maturing in Christ. Verse 3, then, is the third step. Step 1 is... Worship, step two is 
learn. Step three is, verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What's he saying? Once you've given your life to him as an act of worship, and once you've begun to repattern your thinking so that you're thinking biblically, the next step is to start discovering your niche profile, in which will point you to God's purpose for your life. You'll start fulfilling that. It goes on to say, if your gifting is leadership, then lead. And if your gifting is teacher, then teach. And it's whatever it is, that's what you start to do. But it's a part of this journey. So maturity it starts with a commitment. It requires a process, but it has to have a focus. It has to have a target. What am I maturing toward? And to do that, we've got to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we started with, verse 29, and I'm going to hush. And that simply is this. Here we go. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What does verse 29 say? It's highlighted. One, two, three, go. To become like his son. You want to know God's will for your life? Become like his son. That's God's will for your life. Lady called me one time and said, Pastor, I've got, I've got two job offers and I'm trying to decide which one to do. Can you pray with me that I'll find God's will and that I'll get his good and pleasing and perfect will and take the right job? And I said, well, will one job or the other help you to become more like Jesus? And she said, not really. I said, then pick the one you like. Because God's purpose is for you to become like his son. What I'm saying is that mature people look at life, lean in, mature people look at life through a different lens than immature people. Immature people look at the experiences of life through the lens of how does this make me feel today? Mature people look at the experiences of life through the lens of, okay, how is this going to factor into who I am becoming, how I am becoming more like Jesus so that I can accomplish what he put me on the planet to do? That's how mature people view the experiences of our lives. It becomes like a magnifying glass that brings focus. That's why Jesus said in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. He didn't look at that experience just through the lens of how it was making him feel in the moment because let's be honest, guys, he was fully God, but he was fully man. If he only looked at it through the lens of how it was making him feel in the moment, he would have run away screaming because he knew what was coming. But in fact, he looked at it through the lens of this is why the Father sent me and I'm going to accomplish what he sent me to accomplish. Your will, not mine, he said. And ultimately, on the cross, he said, it is finished. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the church at at Philippi, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's on 24-7 guard watch, house arrest, and he's saying, yeah, not telling you I like this experience. I'm not telling you it's my favorite experience. I've had more fun in my life, but I don't look at it through the lens of how much 
fun I'm having right now. I don't look at it through the lens of how this is making me feel. And he wasn't just talking about that moment. He's talking about a lifetime of being beaten, of being run out of town for sharing the gospel, for being arrested, about being shipwrecked, about being snake bit. I mean, this guy had all kinds of experiences. And yet, he says, God is somehow using all of this stuff to spread the gospel across the known world. And the result is some of his very guards came to faith in Jesus Christ. Even some of the members of Caesar's household came to faith in Jesus Christ because of his understanding that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and cooperate with his process. Love him back to become like his son. Anybody think Paul liked all of his experiences? No. But he obviously valued them all. He clearly learned from them all. He concentrated on the benefits and the patterns and the life lessons from them and ultimately understood that all of it worked together so that he could share the gospel with the known world until ultimately he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I get to go to heaven. <laughs> Until then, for me to live is to become more like Jesus. So let me close with just some simple little motivators to get you started, okay? On this journey of leveraging every experience so that you can actually be used of God and share the gospel. Number one, you need to think in terms of every experience is an opportunity for me to motivate others. Every experience, good, bad, and ugly, is an opportunity for me to motivate somebody else. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. That's, you know, that's why we've been wearing I found it stickers all the time. It's not nanny nanny boo boo, I found it and you haven't. That's not what's going on. We're trying to say, hey man, I found it, I want you to find it too. But more specifically, sometimes people need a word of encouragement for somebody who's in this journey in order for them to get on the journey, to get started. I mean, you do this kind of stuff all the time, right? You get on a roller coaster and you're terrified. You think, what in the world have I done? Why am I here? And somebody leans up and says, oh, man, I've ridden this thing five times. It's exciting. You're going to love it. What are you doing? You're giving specific encouragement, and you can just feel the, the kind of, oh, okay, all right, they made it. I can make it too. Ladies, you do it all the time. In fact, as soon as you start the conversation, I start looking for someplace else to be and something else to do. Some new mama will say, I'm overwhelmed and the baby cries all the time. I'm a terrible mother and I don't know what to do about this, that, and the other thing. And you just say, oh, girl, it's all right. I remember when my water broke, that's the cue for me to start going. And you just got to walk them through. Babies cry. That's what they do. And you just got to walk them through the journey. And you can almost see the, the countenance settling in their face because you've been there, done that, and you're encouraging them in, uh, in it. I don't want to embarrass her, but Leanne, some of you know well, has come through a battle uh, very successfully with faith in breast cancer. She said to me just recently, Pastor, you know somebody going through this? Let me know because I would love to walk with them on the journey. She understands a principle that you work these things into a the pattern for good in your lives by letting God use them to motivate others. Secondly, you mentor others. 
There are two ways to learn, right? You can learn from your own experience or you can learn from the experiences of others. Eventually in your life, you've got to get to that place where you start giving away the life lessons that you've captured. You've captured them in order to become, in order to mature, but eventually you start giving those life lessons away. Paul said to the church at Corinth, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul had all kinds of mentors along the way. Ananias in Acts chapter 9, the apostle James in Acts chapter 15, he had these, these uh, men of wisdom, men of God that spoke into his life at critical times. And some of you have got to stop thinking about my experience, my situation, my whatever, and start recognizing God's positioned me uniquely to be able to help some other people to advance his call on their lives. And my highest priority in life becomes them. You do that in your children. Maybe you do that in your grandchildren. It's time for you to do it with spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren. I told you one of our priorities for 2020 is to develop discipleship process in our church. Well, who do you think is going to teach the discipleship classes in small groups? Somebody said, we are. You that have been learning these life experiences. And you say, well, Jim, I'm still kind of new at this, okay? If you've reached the adolescent stage, you can be helping some babies get started. If you've reached the adult stage, you can help some adolescents work through their stage. If you're at the parent stage, you can help some babies, adolescents, and adults through the stage. You see, all of us are at some place in this journey. We can just reach behind us one step and say, come on, go with me. Start thinking through life experiences, not just through the lens of God. What are you teaching me about me? But how can I leverage this? For the kingdom of God, bottom line, is we minister to others. We minister to others. That word minister simply means serve, and here's the key verse. I said, I'm going to hush. I'm going to. I promise I am. Right here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read it together, okay? I want you to hear yourself reading this one out loud. One, two, three, go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be comfortable. What? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Can you imagine what this church could accomplish if all of us who call this place home went on this journey. If we all found our niche, did the work to do our niche profile, linked arms with other people who are unique in themselves, but we're all in it together, and then we started leaning into one another, encouraging one another, mentoring one another, ministering to one another, and reaching the known world. Can you imagine what we could accomplish? Quick story, and I'll close. Some of you are familiar with Herman Austry's barn. Google it later if you want to get more detail. Herman Austry was a farmer in Nebraska a few years ago, uh, and they had a flood, and, the, and his barn floated off of the foundation and set back down just a few feet away and uh, a huge two-story barn and there was no way that he had the money to hire cranes to come in and set it back on its foundation and he was nervous because it had flooded many times before he didn't want to just put it back there anyway so he he put the word out to his neighborhood true story put the word out to his neighborhood he built a new foundation for the barn at the top of the hill they then got uh, 317 neighbors to come. 
His son, Mike, devised a structure for the barn and put 317 handles around the barn, and they all came, and everybody grabbed a handle, and they picked the barn up and carried it 143 feet away to the top of the hill and set it on a new foundation, and nobody carried more than 50 pounds. Because they all work together. Find your niche. Find that purpose for which God put you on the planet. And if the bridge is not your home church, then wherever you are, go home and do it there. But get into the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will look back on your one and only life one day and say, wow, look what God did, not just through me for the people around me, but what he did for me. The secret is cooperate with this process. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for creating this process. Thank you for the way you, you speak life into us. Give us purpose and meaning and fulfillment. You said Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give life and that life in all its abundance, all its fulfillment. But that promise doesn't come, Lord, simply because we kind of sit and wait for you to pour it on us. It comes by cooperating with you. So would you speak life into each one of us right here, right now? give us the confidence that this is true. What we've talked about from the scriptures this morning is true, and it's not just true for a few, it's true for all of us. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. The altars will be open in a minute. You want to pray with somebody? There's a team that would love to pray with you today, minister to you today. But in these closing moments of the service, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Let me let me have a private moment with you. Some of you came here today because the kids were singing. You came here to hear the teenagers, hear the children, watch the preschoolers. You came here because the family said, come on, go with us. I believe God sent me here to tell you that that's not the only reason you're here. In fact, the reason you're here today is he wants you to hear his words. I will never waste a hurt if you'll cooperate with me. So if you're hurting right now, in a relationship, in your physical health, in your finances, in your own sense of self-worth, if you're hurting right now, please, I beg you, hear me say, God loves you. He loves you. He's closest to you when you're brokenhearted. He wants very much to work this into a pattern for good in your life, but you've got to cooperate with him. Maybe you're here today and you've had a whole bunch of good experiences and 
You're feeling kind of blessed right now and favored. Okay, great. But even then, God wants to leverage that for you to be used to reach others. So whatever end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're struggling right now or you're celebrating right now, would you pray a prayer with me? Just along the lines of what we just talked about. Just You pray silently, pray aloud, whatever. I don't, but don't just repeat a phrase. Say a prayer. Use your own words, if you like. Lord, I believe that you will work every experience of my life into a pattern for good if I'll cooperate with you. Help me to do that. Forgive me for testing you on every experience instead of testing myself in those experiences. Give me a fresh start today. I will embrace every experience. I didn't say I'd enjoy them. didn't say I'd look forward to them, but I'll embrace them. I'll value them. I'll lean into them. I'll do my best to learn from them and to capture the lessons that I've learned here, now, in this crowd and before you, I commit to grow in maturity, to become like His Son, Jesus Christ. Help me to grow from wherever I am right now to where you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their lives. I pray growth and health and life over each one of us in the room and online. I pray that we would become a little more like you as a result of every experience in our lives. In Jesus' name.